Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. Today is one of those beyond days. Why so? Well, because we're going to talk about pacifiers today. And interestingly, pacifiers are not breastfeeding, obviously, but many breastfeeding parents have a lot of concerns about giving their baby a pacifier. And I think this is a really important topic to take on because parents are always very confused by the information that they get. And as you can imagine, they get some information from one person, some from another, and so forth. And honestly, I got, uh, parents started asking me about pacifiers more than 30 years ago. And at at first, I really didn't know what to say. And so I kind of said, well, I don't really encourage them. I don't really forbid them, but we really don't have any research on it, blah, blah, blah. Well, now we have a lot of research on the effects of pacifiers. Uh, There's still that whole problem of who you ask. But today, we are going to ask speech pathologist and expert speech pathologist, I might add, Debbie Betts. Debbie is my guest today. Uh, Debbie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Debbie, do parents ask you about the effects of pacifiers when they come in with children uh, that have speech problems? Unfortunately, I've never had a parent ask me about the effects of pacifier in all of my years of practice. Um, That's pretty I often wish that they would. Yeah, it doesn't dawn on them that that could be part of the problem. Exactly. Sometimes they'll kind of allude to, they'll kind of look guilty, and, and I'll, <laughs> I'll ask if they, their child's used a pacifier, and they'll they'll say yes. And then when I ask them how long, is usually where the guilt kind of shows itself. Um, uh-huh. If it's been over two years, they, they usually have researched it a bit, and they know that that might have caused a bit of a problem with the speech or with the tongue thrust. So... Debbie, are you saying that the longer that they use a pacifier, the more severe the effects? Yes, the studies have shown that any any period of time after two years can cause significant problems with dental problems, with swallowing, with tongue thrust. I see it even as young as 18 months because it depends on how often they use the pacifier, how hard they suck on the pacifier. All of those different things go into the problems that might exist because of pacifier use. Debbie, we've got a little bit of research on this, not very much. But in your expert opinion, why do you think that parents give kids pacifiers in the first place? I think every... I mean, we're all guilty of having tried this probably as parents when you're holding this baby in your arms and it's crying and you can't seem to soothe it and breastfeeding is not helping, bottle feed is not helping. I think the instinct is to soothe this baby and give yourself relief as well and just kind of pop this pacifier in the mouth to, to comfort the baby and then you get quiet. 
and then, or yep. the baby blips it back out, and then you pop it back in again. That's where the problems <laughs> start. <laughs> yeah, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head because the little bit of research that we do have about why parents uh, have used pacifiers boils down to the baby can't be soothed with other, and usually parents really don't know a whole lot of things that they sh- should or might try, and so somebody says. Where's that pacifier? Oh, here it is. Let's try this. Mm-hmm. And as you know, often the baby will settle right down. And then I think that parents are lulled into that idea of, oh, fussy baby, next up, give pacifiers. Exactly. And yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting because you and I have both had enough experience to know that that's a real prevalent reason. And I could probably go on my whole diatribe about how I think that parents need to have other alternatives for, uh, yeah, I think that's a big problem. I think that we don't do a real good job of helping them to realize what the other alternatives are. But I want to go to what you just uh, implied here a minute ago. And that is, you mentioned the lisp, the dental problems, the tongue thrust. I want to start with the lisp. What is a lisp? So a lisp is when a child, typically to produce an S sound or a Z sound, a child should lift the tongue tip and put it up on the area behind the top teeth, um, and that's called the alveolar ridge, right behind that area. It doesn't actually touch, but it approximates that area. And so with a child that has been sucking a pacifier for a long length of time or even a baby bottle nipple, uh, the tongue tends to be pushed down and out, and it starts to affect the swallow, and it also it also affects the, the tongue movement and speech. So, um, it you know, it just kind of interferes with the adult swallow that should be starting to happen when a child, you know, is normally breastfeeding or when they give up the bottle or the pacifier. And so, so as a result, you get like an SH sound instead of an S or a Z that's what I was going to say is it you get the sh instead of the s so right instance, or you I'm, get the th it, they can also get a uh, th sound it depends on where it's being made yeah so while you've been talking I've been standing here practicing your last name bets <laughs> bets bets and I realize I have to do the s so if I had a lisp how would it sound that probably would be like a TH then. It would be best because it's, it's more of a Z sound when you get, you know, S can be affected by whatever vowel precedes it or, or whatever consonant precedes it. So in that case, it's more of a Z sound, and you definitely would get more of a TH with a child. All right, so I'm thinking that. that if I had a toddler, and how, like, would I really recognize that, and would I seek out Debbie Betts for speech pathology, or would I just say kids talk funny when they're little? What would I, how do, like, what's parents' reaction to that? Most parents don't seem to recognize it as being a problem until the child is about three or three and a half years old, and they just think it's cute. You know, a lot of parents think, oh, this is cute, you know, but then they start seeing that people can't understand them. And that's usually when they seek me out, when it starts to interfere, because with normal speech, we we say one sound and then another one, they all kind of combine together. It's called co-articulation. 
And that's when the problems start to happen because if that tongue is thrust forward and you're trying to make the next sound, it's going to interfere with the next sound and then that starts to garble Uh, the speech. uh Uh-huh. So it kind of has this snowball effect on the making of the sounds. All right. I want to go down a a little other path here, which is my husband told me that when he was a kid, that the speech therapist told him that he was leaking air out the side of his tongue. Is that the same as a lisp? Well, that's called a lateral lisp. So Uh that's a different type of lisp, yeah. And typically with a lateral lisp, it it does. It shoots out the sides of the tongue instead of coming out the front of the mouth. So I always tell children, put your hand in front of your mouth. Do you feel the air? And... Uh um, if they don't feel the air, then they know that it's coming out of the sides of the mouth. So then we work, you know, with a little mouth puppet, we work to actually show them where the air should be coming out. Okay, so now I'm thinking there's more than one kind of lisp. Parents may or probably may not recognize it right away. By the time the baby's three and a half or so, they realize that people are having trouble understanding him. And I guess my big question then would be, is there a direct relationship between the use of the pacifier and this lisp? Yes. It, in Explain my why. And, and yeah. what I've seen is, well, with the pacifier, and typically then I'll say to a parent, how long did your child suck the pacifier? And sometimes they'll say, oh, he's still sucking it. Or, oh. and, and I can always, and, and it's gotten to the point where the first thing I say to a parent is, you know, when I see this type thing, I see an open mouth posture, the child sitting there with his mouth, his mouth open, the tongue is mm. kind of just hanging there. I'll say, did your child suck a pacifier? And it can be three things. It can be low muscle tone, which we call hypotonia, or uh-huh. it can be the pacifier use or bottle use, or it can also be, um, I just went blank. Oh, enlarged tongue <laughs> or adenoids, sorry. Oh, oh, got it, <laughs> and, and got it, can, okay. And <laughs> it's the same thing as a pacifier. You know, many times I think, oh, that child's had a pacifier and it's been enlarged tonsils or adenoids. All of so, those things, if you, if you think about it, they all push the tongue down and out instead of the tongue being able to retract and, and sit in the mouth in its resting position. So, Debbie, if the parent sees the baby, the toddler, really, or the preschooler, with the open mouth posture on a fairly frequent basis, is that, first of all, is that a predictor for speech problems? And secondly, is that the time to call their friendly neighborhood speech pathologist? Yes. Now, babies, it's typical. We expect to see it in infants. You see them with their little mouth open and you see their little tongue and normal tongue thrust at that point. But at that point, by two, two and a half, if you see that that is either becoming worse, more pronounced, or if, if you see that they're just not, when they're drinking out of their cup or whatever, you see the tongue protruding, then that's a reason to be concerned. Okay. All right. Because I'm not sure if I were a parent and I saw that open mouth, especially because little babies do it. I don't know that I would be smart enough to know that by the time the baby's a toddler, you really shouldn't see that open mouth posture. Right. They should learn to be able to keep that mouth closed. Yeah. 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 And I guess 
well, the nurse in me is always watching kids in elevators and you know, all sorts of me places. <laughs> and I do see those kids with those open mouth postures. And honestly, I've just never thought about it being related to the pacifier. What drives me nuts is when I see a kid who is going to kindergarten and he's got his pacifier in his mouth and I think, oh, for pity's sake, plug, pull the plug out I here. <laughs> I know, ask my husband because every time I see one, I just want to pop it out. <laughs> oh, man. And so certainly, well, let me ask you this. And when we come on the other side of the break, I want you to talk way more about this business with tongue thrusting, because that's a topic. Shoot, we could probably have a whole show on just tongue thrusting. But anyway, um, I, I guess I want to ask, how, is it ever too early to seek help from a speech pathologist, namely, before the baby speaks? Is it too early to get help with speech? No, actually, children with Down syndrome, children with cerebral palsy, high-risk children, we see them to help them with swallowing, uh, with Uh eating. So it's, you know, in cases like that, absolutely. And then if a child isn't speaking, if they're not developing those first words or first, if they're not um, babbling, then we're also concerned about those children because many times that can be that first indicators of what we call uh, childhood apraxia of speech. Um, Uh If a child's not teething on things, that can also be an indicator of apraxia. So there are certain things that we do like to see the child early. And and, and if it's a first-time baby for a first, you know, parents, it's their first child, they may not pick up on those things like they would if it were the second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm worried about. Hey, everybody, I, I hope you're as fascinated with all this information as I am, but don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuto. I am your host, and I'm here with my guest today, Debbie Betts. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life 
of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. And today I'm here with speech pathologist Debbie Betts. Debbie, before we were talking a lot about lisps, that are there are different types of lisps and how they uh, can affect the baby. The fact that sometimes you'll see the baby with the open mouth posture and that and that while that's okay for a little baby, it's really not okay for a toddler. But somewhere in all of that, you talked about tongue thrusting. Could you start maybe from the beginning? Because for a small baby in the first several months, tongue thrusting is normal. It is a, a, a I think it's I think it's classified as a primitive reflex. But then after that, not so much so. And you don't want to have the baby doing tongue thrusting and offering salads at the same time. So talk to us a little bit about what is normal, what isn't normal, and how this feeds into the whole pacifier thing. Okay, so what's normal is we do see tongue thrusting, especially with breastfeeding. Um, You'll see it with bottle, you know, using the bottle. And the wonderful thing about breastfeeding is that the breast actually kind of molds to the palate of the baby and uh-huh. helps the palate, but it, because it's very pliable, it's, it's made for a baby's mouth, whereas yes. with the bottles and the pacifier, we'll see that tongue thrusting a lot longer, it, it appears, than we do with the breastfeeding baby. Um, and then at, at usually when they're well over six months, you start to see that tongue retract a bit. And then yeah. when they give up the bottle or they give up the pacifier, they give up breastfeeding, that tongue starts to go into more of an adult swallow. And actually, breastfeeding is wonderful for that because it actually does have the movement that eventually leads to the adult swallow, whereas the, with the baby bottles or the pacifiers, it just keeps pressing that tongue down and out and doesn't allow that, we call it the reverse swallow, to begin to occur. And then as a result, you get this baby always has a tongue thrust. And then as a year old, they're, they're still tongue thrusting. Whoa. And I don't think parents always recognize that. Debbie, would it be fair to say, in your opinion, and based on the science, after six months or so, you shouldn't see a whole lot of tongue thrusting? Would that be a fair statement? I believe so. I, okay. You know, I'm trying to think. Back, I I haven't been around an infant in quite a while, but that's about the time that we 
start to think that that adult swallow, even like closer to a year, that tongue thrust goes away quite a bit. You don't, the baby starts to close the mouth more. So that would be about the period of time between six months and a year you start to see that, that retract. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the part about the tongue going down and out, uh, mm-hmm. I think those are the terms you've used. Uh, right. I guess I'm trying to visualize the pacifier in the baby's mouth, and I'm thinking, mm-hmm. is his tongue going to hump up from back to front or from front to back? I would say from back to front. And That's other, what I would say. The other interesting okay. thing about pacifier use is when, when a child's breastfeeding, for instance, that breast is up, approximates the palate, molds the palate. The pacifier does not allow, or it, it, it allows the tongue to mold the palate, help mold the palate. Pacifier interferes with that tongue movement, that tongue moving up to help mold the palate, for the breast to help mold the palate. It actually separates the tongue from the palate. So there you've got this pacifier kind of pressing on the palate, causing a high arch instead of, you know, a nice, round, smooth widening of the arch that breastfeeding allows the tongue to do. Debbie, you're implying that a pacifier, which is more firm, if that's the right mm-hmm. term, or more, uh, I don't know, more structured or something than a breast, you're implying that that could, uh, I don't want to say create, but could add to the eye, the problem of a high-arched palate? Yes. Yes, definitely and, and high I'm, arch palate and more narrow palate. Yes, and where I'm going with this is that I think that parents think that when the baby is born that he is like this miniature adult and he's got all of his parts permanently molded and put together. And that is not my understanding of the mouth. Is Am I correct? Exactly, exactly. That's exactly right. Okay. So really, during this period when the baby, sure, the baby is outside of the womb, he's growing on his own and all that stuff, but he still is very vulnerable to these outside foreign objects. And I would consider a pacifier a foreign object, thank you very much. And so Mm -hmm. you're saying that it has the potential to mess up his palate, either by being a high-arched palate or being... You, met, you mentioned something else. Right, and it also narrows the palate. Narrows, yeah. And, and that, yeah. in turn, it, it's just a, it, it just kind of leads from one thing to the other. That, in turn, can affect what we call the, the oral facial or the craniofacial development. So then you're talking, you know, actual the jaw, the upper jaw. That actually can affect the upper jaw growth. Um, it, it just leads from one thing to the next. So, for instance, I spoke with an orthodontist recently, and she said, oh, I can correct, I can correct the dental problems due to tongue thrust. She said, but, she said, if they haven't corrected the tongue thrust with a speech pathologist within even three months, they may be back, and it might have undone everything it took me two years oh. to do. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I've even seen children choking that the teacher had to do Heimlich maneuver on one child. Oh, um, my word. Over a grape because the, the child, instead of 
taking the tongue up and back the way they're supposed to, the adult swallow, we call it, that, that just kind of envision this grape in his mouth, and then he's trying to swallow, and the tongue is going down and out instead, and the grape got lodged. So she ended up doing Heimlich. Another child, the grandfather, kind of intervened. Tomfools and wow. enlarged adenoids can do the same things. The pacifier changing the form of the palate and also changing the, the movement of the tongue can create all of these problems. Debbie, I'm just one tad lost, and that is if the, if the pacifier changes the form, the structure of the mouth, is it a permanent change? You know, it's interesting. There have been studies, if you stop pacifier use early enough, that some of those will start to kind of go back to the, the, the normal okay. positioning. Okay. So if you start, and there have even been studies changing the pacifier to orthodontic pacifier or one that's real, real thin and longer. Um, yeah, yeah. They, they can actually help, I, I think, better to just get it rid of it, not take any risks. Not be part of the study, you know, and yeah, just let them yeah. be natural. Natural so important. But, yeah, yeah, so if it's very early, I'm talking probably 18 months and younger, yes, that's why they tell you to stop the pacifier use at a year old. And, and these studies kind of expanded to two years. I'd rather see it at a year old just to, just uh-huh. to play it safe and allow these structures to, to go back to where they were, to, to be in their normal state. Debbie, you mentioned a minute ago, and I cut you off, about the the tongue. How does the tongue and what it does affect the palate? So the, the tongue in its normal state, well, the whole swallowing process with the tongue is the tongue tends to, the food gathers on the tongue, right. and then the palate kind of directs it back to the back of the throat with the movement of the tongue. Um, that's why when you get the high arch palate, the tongue isn't able to do its, its full function, especially if the tongue has been kind of pressed down and out. Uh, the tongue is the strongest muscle in your body for its Whoa! <laughs> so when you take something and you're pressing down on this poor tongue and it's trying to be strong and move this food back or trying to produce the speech sounds that we want it to produce correctly, um, and it's been pushed down by this, either pacifier or baby nip, bottle nipple, then, you know, it, it can't do its function. It becomes very weak. And that's when you see the, the tongue thrust or the tongue just kind of sitting there in the baby's mouth or a child's mouth, a toddler's mouth. And um, that's hard. Let me tell you, I've worked with children. It's increased the time that it takes me to help a child correct their, their tongue movement significantly. It's always harder to correct the articulation of speech as a result of tongue thrust or this problem, and it takes much longer to actually correct tongue thrust. It's a very difficult thing to correct in children. They can correct, but it takes the parents working with them at home as well. I had no idea the tongue was that strong. That makes me think of another question then, which is sometimes I see these kids sucking on a pacifier for dear life. The parent tries to take it out, and it's like the kid is just hanging on to that pacifier for dear life. Is it because he has developed more muscle musculature or 
just that he's using his muscle in a in a not very good way. I would say probably not in a good way. Yeah, uh-huh. I think they they become very psychologically attached to these pacifiers as well. It's a comfort thing. It's security blankets sort of thing. And right. um, it yeah. Yeah, that's why I tell parents if you're going to use a pacifier with a with a newborn until they're a year old, keep it in the crib. Keep it in there that's a source of sleeping and don't let it leave the crib because when you let it leave the crib is when you develop yeah. all of these other problems. I, I suspect that that's sort of your way of helping them to go middle of the road, that you would really rather see them not using the passy at all, but if they're going right. to... At- at least uh, confine that somewhat. So, hey, everybody, don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with my special guest, Debbie Betts, and we will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. 
Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I have with me today expert speech pathologist Debbie Betts. Debbie, before we went to break, we were talking about leaving the uh, pacifier in the crib. And I said, this is a great way to help parents to sort of have some pacifier use, but they're not using the passy all the time. Talk to us a little bit more about sleep and and uh, pacifier use, because that's, that's probably a whole show. But can you just uh, talk to us a little bit about that from your perspective? Right. So, so back in the late nine, you know, nineteen thousand or nineteen, <laughs> right before two thousand, yeah. there were studies done that determined if we we slept the baby on its back, then it really reduced the cases of SIDS. It's, it's dramatic. I mean, some say seventeen percent, some say thirty percent. There's even recently as much as seventy percent. At the same time, they're also now discovering this with pacifier use. Um, if if you sleep a baby on its or if you use a pacifier with a baby, actually I I misstated, I misstated that pacifier use can lower at the same time pacifier can, use can lower the case of SIDS. And recently, there was a study done in 2011 that actually said that it can reduce uh, SIDS by 70 percent. It was significant. So um, that makes this a little bit more complicated. We just can't say, don't use a pacifier because, you know, parents have to be well-educated and think what is best for their baby. That's why if they ask me, I say, okay, just go ahead and keep the pacifier in the crib. Yeah, and uh, certainly I think we're going to need a lot more research to convince me, but uh, there's certainly... uh, how should I say? There's enough research that I think the doctors will stand by their position that it's okay to give the baby the passy. The, the American Academy of Pediatrics, however, in their 2012 statement, which was the most recent statement on the pacifier use, says don't use it until, quote, breastfeeding is well established. And they even they specified that as three to four weeks. And I would agree with that. I would also want to say you were really on target when you said the more the baby uses the passy, the more severe the effects. I want to talk, though, about swallowing because you've alluded to that several times during the show. Now, we all know that in order for babies to breastfeed, they have to do all the stuff you've been just talking about. They have to be able to extend their tongue. They have to be able to have a strong tongue, which... Uh, will take the tongue up against the hard palate. The hard palate could be either uh, high arched or very narrow, which you talked to us about that. But if they if they can do all of those movements, but they're not swallowing properly, then we're still in trouble with breastfeeding. So, how does the pacifier relate to the swallowing? Well, it's the same thing. It's going to change the, the movement of the tongue. And especially, okay. you know, and, and they've, they've discovered that if a parent gives up breastfeeding early, you know, that increases the use of pacifiers by four times the really? amount of typical. Yes, it's amazing. Whoa, There's a, I did not know that. And I think that. it's for that comfort piece. You know, breastfeeding provides yeah, comfort. And, yeah, that's and true. So I think with the, I think with, 
in those cases, we're going to see more of like the, the later effects of the swallowing problems. Um, it, you know, when it's just the baby's just drinking milk or drinking mother's milk, the swallowing, it, it's, it's good. And at that point, the palates have not developed that real high, narrow arch in these infants. So I think as far as the first year of life, we're still okay. It's just later that I worry about the, the swallowing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's pretty fascinating. I'm just, I'm amazed. So talk to us a little bit about the dental problems. Okay, so dental, dental is fascinating. It, it causes what we call, for the most part, they've, they've linked pacifier use with posterior crossbite problems, and that's where typically in a, in a normal mouth, the, the upper jaw, the teeth in the upper jaw are outside, right outside, right up against the teeth in the lower jaw, which are interior to the upper teeth. Uh, when, okay. you, when you suck on the pacifier, it tends to narrow that arch in the top jaw, and it tends to make it higher, and that pulls those teeth in. And that does not allow the bite to be, you know, it doesn't allow the bite to be its normal bite. They tend to sometimes hit the bottom teeth. It starts a whole crossbite problem. Um, and then they, they tend to say with, with nipples for bottles, and if it goes on for a long period of time, that gives you that, that jet out of the front teeth, you know, where they actually project out. Um, you yeah. can see that with thumbs, too thumbs and fingers, and, but with a pacifier, it tends to be the posterior, we call it the posterior crossbite that is caused. So, so there are two things that are a possibility, the posterior crossbite as well as the something else crossbite. Did I, did I catch something else there? An no. interior, which is more seen anterior. in, okay. yeah, with, yeah, with sucking in the, they call it digits of the fingers or the thumb, yeah. Uh-huh. And also... I don't know if you know this or not. Uh, <laughs> audience can tell we do not rehearse these ahead of time. But <laughs> anyway, uh, p- parents will sometimes get real confused about the difference between pacifiers. Uh, from your perspective, do you think that the, that one pacifier is any better or any worse in its shape or its consistency or whatever? It's interesting. Somebody had just asked me, a lactation specialist, consultant just asked me this uh, recently, and I said, you know, the orthodontic-approved pacifiers are, they have no different effects that I have seen in my practice or in my research than, you know, the regular ones that come home with a baby, sometimes from a hospital, those big blue ones. Um, There is something, I believe it's called the NAMSI, NAMI, NAMSI, and that's a long, more narrow pacifier um, and it fits up into the palate better. Supposedly, if you've got a suck pacifier, that's probably a better one to use. It also has more holes, um, which allows if the baby, for whatever reason, heaven forbid, chokes on it, um, will allow them to be able to breathe and not, you know, suffocate from it. There have been babies that have gotten entire pacifiers lodged in their throats. Terrifying. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> um, oh, yeah. So... So I wouldn't, you know, I, I I wouldn't, that's not a pacifier I would recommend either, but I think, you know, it's something that would be worth apparent researching further. Okay. 
Uh, certainly, I haven't gotten that as much with pacifiers as I do with bottles. And people will say to me, well, I want that bottle that has the nipple that's just like mother's nipple. And I say, there is no such a thing. There just I is agree. no such a thing. And <laughs> they so try basically, to make this, but they can't reproduce it. <laughs> no, no, a- absolutely not. Absolutely not. And so part of what you're saying here is, no, they are not all created equally. And the parent should at least try to uh, explore, if that's the right word, uh, to explore mm-hmm. how they might be different. Right. I spoke When I spoke with my orthodontist friend recently, she said, no pacifier is good. She says, no, you know, she didn't agree with anyone is good. And that, that's pretty much my consensus as well. Uh, before we leave the dental part, uh, did you talk about did you talk about um, malocclusion, or was I just having a pipe dream here? So malocclusion, yeah, that's that's the yeah, that's the crossbite. crossbite. Yeah, yeah, and that can also affect the jaw. You know, it, it can also okay. affect the the muscles. It you know, so when you when you go into that, you start affecting the the mouth muscles are so important, and when you for the development of the jaw, and then you're talking cranial, the head itself, oh, the face right. itself, the facial right. muscles. So, yeah. So when you start affecting that, you're talking some serious changes for some of these children. And there's even been studies that are starting to allude to the fact that um, when you start to have these changes, and when you've got this high arch palate and the tongue gets pressed back further in the throat, then you might and or when a child has an open mouth bite, you have a high risk of sleep apnea. Apnea, at that point, that's even exactly where child. I was going. Okay. Talk to, tell us what sleep apnea is and uh, scare everybody a little bit here because it makes me nuts. We've only got one one minute less so, left, so you got to talk fast. Okay, so sleep apnea <laughs> is typically when there's an obstruction in the back of their throat um, and the, the, air, the, the child tends to snore. And then they tend to, it gets obstructed and they stop breathing for a minute and then they gasp. So that's what sleep apnea is. So when you're starting to change oral structures, then you, there, there, this Palmer did a study or research in 2004, 2005 that really alluded to this. And I thought that is fascinating and it makes perfect sense. Sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just going to say that any time that a baby has, uh, uh, some sort of anomaly where they have a weak tongue. I always tell new nurses then if they've got a weak tongue, they are by definition at risk for uh, sleep apnea or just apnea because the tongue, remember that it will fall forward, but it can also fall backwards. And if the tongue falls backwards, of course, it can occlude, uh, it can get in the way of the windpipe. And if it gets in the way of the windpipe, then they can't breathe. And so apnea, yeah, apnea is defined as the cessation of breathing for 20 seconds or more. And I will tell you that if you've ever seen a kid that's apneic, the first time that I did, it scared the bejeepers off from me. And so, uh, you know, I would not want to be the, a parent and have to see that. That's no. for sure. Uh, everybody, don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with my special guest, speech pathologist, Debbie Betts. We'll be right back after this short break.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash gooddonor. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everybody. I'm Marie Biancuzzo. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, and I am going to ask a few last questions of expert speech pathologist, 
Debbie Betts. Debbie, we've talked an awful lot about the risks of the pacifier and how it affects feeding, breastfeeding, swallowing, and much more. Are there situations where the pacifier can actually be beneficial for the baby, and what would those be? Yes, so actually there's been an interesting kind of a push for children in NICU, babies in NICU, um, to suck on a pacifier. And they they advocate this because they feel, in fact, there was, you know, with our 10 steps to protect, promote breastfeeding, they've actually add to the Baby-Friendly Hospital Initiative for Neonatal Wards was proposed in 2009 because they're so believing that pacifier use for these babies is important that they've added this to uh, it's a special type of a, a program now. But they, they feel that it helps them develop the suck-swallow-breathe coordination that's so important mm. to transitioning uh-huh. to the oral feeds. And uh-huh. then they, they also feel that the greater the weight gain, the earlier discharge. And um, so in that case, they do feel that it's, it's really important, especially for preterm infants, hypoglycemic infants, uh, need of oral stimulation, and, you know, the sucking and swallowing reflex. Debbie, I've been following that literature for, oh, dear, I don't know, before I wrote my first book. So that would have been before 1998 was when I started following that literature. And I think that there is enough research to show that at least for the baby who is premature, and I'm not talking about, uh, you know, technically premature is less than 37 weeks, but especially for those who are substantially more uh, premature, they absolutely have shown better weight gain when the babies have been uh, using the pacifier. And even when the babies have an NG or an OG tube that is a nasogastric or orogastric tube, which is a little tube that you put down their nose or down their uh, throat in order to get the tube into the stomach. That's how you give the feeding, but then they uh, give them the pacifier as well. And I would suppose that there's probably something to do with digestive uh, juices. I don't really know that, and I don't know if anybody knows that, but yeah. Uh, but certainly you come at it from the standpoint of it really improves that suck, swallow, breathe, and that makes an awful lot of sense to me. Uh, right. I my, think the, my sister-in-law, she's a neonatal nurse. She, she said to me, she said, oh, my gosh, we love when they start sucking a pacifier. It means they're yeah. on their way to be discharged. I mean, she was just, right. I thought, oh, I need to look at this from a different perspective then. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, because I can tell you, both from the literature as well as from my personal experience, when a baby reaches more or less in the 32 weeks neighborhood, again, everybody, every baby is different, but when they they get that pacifier, you introduce it into their mouth and they can suck, swallow, and breathe. Uh, Now, of course, they're not swallowing very much if they've got the passy, but just the same, that movement is there. And, uh, you know, you can really tell that sometimes you just sort of, I don't know, like just introduce it into their mouth and they're like, oh, hey, where's this thing been all my life, you know? And right, so right. <laughs> I can right, exactly. I can appreciate your sister-in-law's excitement because, uh, 
Yeah. Uh, are there any other situations you can think of where the baby does uh, it really benefits from the PASI? I'm trying to think. Um, I think that's the one that I'm thinking of really stands out in my mind more than, yeah. I don't think okay. really anything else really stands out in my mind other than, you know, the SIDS. The SIDS is, SIDS is a big thing. But other than right. that, yeah. yeah. You've talked to me about full transition to breastfeeding. What does that mean? So these are the for the neonatal babies. The this has been kind of interesting. What I what I've researched on this is that some babies are able to go from neonatal to full transition to breastfeeding, um, and actually, I. I, I do have a couple of moms with Down syndrome that did successfully breastfeed their babies after they were in needle natal, but they really did push breastfeeding from the very beginning, asking for time to let the baby try. And even if it's Absolutely. just that the, the breasts have been emptied and the baby just is put up to breast to suck, um, you know, skin on skin, that right. helps with that full transition to breastfeeding. And I know that today's show is not about Down syndrome, but I just want to get my dibs in here, which is, in my opinion, the only two things that make a difference as to whether or not a baby can uh, with Down can breastfeed is how much patience his mother has and how much time passes. But with enough time and enough patience, a baby with Down syndrome absolutely can breastfeed. Those are the only two factors that, in my opinion, really make uh, a difference. Wow. Well, this has been pretty fascinating. Uh, Debbie, uh, we've got less than a minute or so left here. Can you give us a short summary of what would be your take-home messages for the parents? My take-home messages to parents is to basically, if they were to ask me to to please give up the pacifier by a year old, leave it in the crib. A friend of mine, Judy Brady, had said she oh, yeah. had IBCLC and OBGYN, and she said to me, tell a parent that it's going to take at least eight days to wean this baby of the pacifier. Expect fuzzy nights, expect mm. crying, but it mm. will be well worth it. So that would oh. be my, my take. And just to think natural. You know, what's natural? Breastfeeding is natural. Um, you want as much oh. natural as you can with your baby. That is really good advice, and I'm chuckling. I'm thinking, wow, Debbie Betts came to my comprehensive lactation course, mm-hmm. and uh, Judy came to my comprehensive lactation yes. course, and it's really great for me to hear that these women are out there preaching the kind of message that I myself would preach uh, I'm by no means going to retire, but I'm glad that somebody is going to carry on at least my philosophy. And I never knew that about the eight days, but yeah, I would say Judy Brady has had enough experience to, to uh, say that with some confidence. Hey, everybody, uh, it's been quite a day, but as you know, this hour goes way, way too fast. And I would like to thank my guest today, uh, speech pathologist, Debbie Betts. Debbie, thank you for coming today. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed the time with you. Oh, good. Well, finally, I'd like to thank all of you for listening to Born to be Breastfed, and I'd like you to all come back next week. Now, if you're interested in books or media that was mentioned on any of the shows that I've done for the past almost, ooh, I think we're working on almost four years here, uh, check out my Amazon store. All you need to do is visit my 
uh, website at borntobebreastfed.com. That's born to be breastfed. You'll see it. And uh, be sure to visit our Facebook page. And if you enjoyed the show today or if you like our Facebook page, please make sure that you give us that little like while you're there. Now, if you're a professional and you're looking for continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation, remember, I'm your source for evidence-based practice and education on the web and sometimes in your city. My courses and tons of resources and my blog and much more are at my professional website, and that's a little different now. That website is breastfeedingoutlook.com. That's breastfeedingoutlook.com. I'm Marie Biancuto. I promise I'll help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday, same time, same channel. In the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuzo next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. 